Welcome to the Dare to Move podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Wood, and I'm not your life coach, just a girl who never gives up. Hey guys, have you ever heard of the show Will and Grace? What about the show Camping with Jennifer Garner? Have you heard of 30 Rock? What about American Woman with Alicia Silverstone? Well, technically, if you are a loyal listener, you have absolutely heard of American Woman because we have talked about it on this podcast with Sam Morgan in episodes 19 and 20. And obviously, I'm a fan of all of the aforementioned, but today's guest is, I am just, I'm, I'm at a loss of words. I am so excited. John Riggie comes on to talk all about his career as a writer, director, and executive producer. And he has, if you look at his IMDb page, he has a just incredible list of accomplishments, if you will. And I love the way he talks about storytelling and writing. So today, for my writers who are listening, he's going to give you a lot of concrete tips of what you can do to get better. But what I love about today's episode, guys, is just how, you know, he studied (laughs) <laughs> he was pre-med and then he ends up in Hollywood being friends with Alec Baldwin. So what a wild ride. I just, I mean, he quite literally dared to move from Ohio to California, but more than that, he just, he seems to be a master of being really good at crushing it in the present and just staying focused on what he's doing in the moment and working really hard. So I hope you guys take so many things away from this. I personally teared up when we hung up because I was just so moved by his talent and his resume and just his ability to give great advice. So I hope you love this episode. I'm not going to tell you too much more. I just want you to listen, enjoy, and be as moved as I was. Without further ado, John Riggi. Uh, I'm really thankful that you're willing to come on today. Oh, well, thanks for asking me. <laughs> well, Sam is a good friend of mine, and he really um, urged me to reach out to you, and I was thrilled to have the opportunity. So, Okay, great. Great. Um, so in the stereotypical Jared podcast interview, we always start with a quote, and I have one for you today that's actually about writing, because I am an aspiring writer. I've published one book, and I am obsessed with talking about writing, so... Okay. One that I would love for you to speak to, and it's by Terry Pratchett, and the quote is, "The first draft is about you telling yourself the story." How does that speak to you? Well, it really has a lot of weight to me because I do think that probably the biggest hurdle that I think writers go through, well, I'll just speak for myself, is just getting past the first draft and mm-hmm. and allowing yourself the process of you know, telling yourself the story, which I think is a great way of putting it. There's also the thing I always think about is Annie Lamott. There's this writer named Annie Lamott. I don't know if you're familiar with her or not, but she's a really, really good writer. And she has a book called Bird by Bird. And the the story and why it's called Bird by Bird is because she tells the story in the book of one summer as they were leaving school for the summer, her younger brother got this assignment that over the summer he was supposed to do the birds of the United States, all 50 birds, wow. like every, or the state birds, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the summer comes and of course he's playing around and screwing off like kids should do. And then it's literally like the weekend before school starts and he hasn't 
on the on the project and so it's like a saturday morning and he's sitting at the kitchen table and he's literally in tears because he has all this work to do and he doesn't know where to begin and is just completely overwhelmed by the idea of having to try to take on this project and his dad i think it's their dad comes in and sits down next to him and says well son the only thing to do from here is take it bird by bird and I always think of that. I always think of it whenever I start a new thing, whenever I start writing something, I always, because I, I do think that I have a tendency to sit down at, in front of a computer and go, where do I start? Like, where, where does this begin? And, and, and I think it is exactly that. It is just allowing yourself to tell the story to yourself and then expand on that and make it a bigger story for other people because I think the other part of it is is sometimes as writers we know what we mean we don't necessarily we aren't necessarily conveying to the audience what we mean because Ooh. we you, you don't want to be you don't want to feel like you're speaking down to them or you don't or you want to feel like you're you know you're trying to make it a little bit more you know a little bit more not quite so a to b to c to d you know you don't want to make it so linear so I think the process of doing that is would probably be the biggest skill to have as a writer. Wow. I cannot wait to talk more about writing today. And before we jump into that, I always ask a second question. And the second question is you're sitting on a plane and someone asks you, what do you do? How do you answer? I usually... It reminds when you asked me that question, I was a stand-up comic, and I remember a friend of mine, we would fly a lot, and, and no one ever wanted to say to somebody, I'm a stand-up comic, because <laughs> of a conversation with them. Mm. So I remember my friend used to say, I'm a heating and air conditioning technician. <laughs> okay. And that stops that Everything. conversation. Yeah. If I was on a plane and someone asked me, I would probably say I'm a writer. What I try not to do is say I'm a television writer. Oh, okay. And why is that? Because then there's a lot of questions about what shows I work on and that sort of thing. And, and it's not that I, I don't want to talk about it. It's just that I, I'm not particularly interested in going over that kind of laundry list of things I've done. Like I have a very big sort of, I don't look back very much and, and, and I just keep moving on to the next thing. So I don't really talk about like, like I, what I try to do is learn from what I did on the last one. And then you, and then the, my, the value of it to me is to use it for the next project. That's really neat. I, I like that you, I, I can tend to be almost too reflective, but I really like that. And it's kind of the essence of this podcast. So just dare to move, keep going. Like don't, don't be idle, blah, blah, blah. And, and speaking of your most recent work, you, I am a huge fan of camping and American woman and I mean, you've, you've had some really great things, I would say, it, it, on your resume and your portfolio. And I'd love to know kind of, because I'm from the Midwest, I know you're from the Midwest, and I'd love to know kind of how you got started and if your intention was always to become a screenwriter or if it was writing in general. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey to where you are now? Sure. I, my intention was not to be a screenwriter. My intention was, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and you know, there's not a lot of opportunities there for working in this business for sure. And so I grew up and uh, basically was, 
I was a pre-med. I was going to, no you know, way. I would, uh, yeah. And I was kind of doing that. And, you know, I was at, you know, at the university of Cincinnati and I was in the pre-med program and I got out and I took my MCATs and did okay, did well enough, certainly to apply to places, but I just didn't want to go to med school. And, and my mom had moved to Italy. Strangely enough, she had gotten married to a gentleman in Italy and she had moved to Italy. So I was living in the States by myself and I was kind of like, I don't really think I want to do this anymore and whatever. And then, so I got a job at a company and then that company laid off a bunch of employees and I was one of them because I was in the testing department because of my science background. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of unemployed and kind of just, you know, bouncing around Cincinnati. And a friend of mine called me up and said, I went to a comedy club and I saw a bunch of stand-ups and I didn't think any of them were funnier than you are at a party. That's a nice friend. Yes. And she's (laughs) like, I really think you should. And they have open auditions at this place and I think you should go. So I went in, I always wanted to perform in some way or do something like that. And so I went in and put this, I'm sure I don't even remember what it was, but I'm sure this terrible five minutes of jokes together (laughs) and they were nice enough to give me a chance. And then I started doing stand up, and I started doing that kind of as my profession. And then this was, you know, like you could really go and make a decent living doing comedy because the comedy boom was really, really happening. And so I started going around and doing one nighters and with my friends and it was a really fun time and, and whatever. And then I got to the point where I thought I've got to get out of Cincinnati. I can't stay here and do this. So I moved to Chicago. I lived in Chicago. Love that. Yeah. When were you there? I was there in 2012 and 13. Okay, I was there a little earlier than you. But yeah, it's fantastic. So I lived there for four years and really kind of got my feet wet and was, you know, it was the whole next level of stand up. And then basically what happened to me was my story is really atypical because I was working in Chicago and I met Dennis Miller and Dennis Miller said, you should come out to California. Yeah, I, I think you really need to come to California. And I was like, really? I don't really, you know, I, that the idea of doing that really scared me because I had a very good thing going in Chicago. I was really well known. I made money. It was fine. And he was like, no, you really should come. And so, uh, yeah, it was a giant move. And so my boyfriend and I at the time, like packed up the truck and we moved out to California and then I was kind of doing stand up and that sort of thing. And, and really was here to be an actor. That's really what I thought I was was going to happen to me was I was going to be an actor. But, you know, my stand up as far as writing goes, like I didn't really if you ever see like my stand up was always stories. Like I always told stories on in my act. I t- and most of it was based on real things that happened to me and then I would bend it slightly for jokes and stuff, but it was all kind of true stories and it was like longer narrative storytelling kind of thing. So I was already kind of telling stories verbally to begin with. And then I auditioned for a show called The Larry Sanders Show with Gary Shandling. And I got the part. It's a long story that I won't go into, but I got the part. And then I didn't get the part because of some political things between my agency at the time. I mean, my managers at the time. That's frustrating. Yeah. And so then I worked on... And at the time I was, I was writing for Dennis Miller. I was writing on his show and I was like, like writing jokes. 
for his monologue. And then that show got canceled and I was unemployed and I didn't have anything to do. And I really loved the Larry Sanders show. And I was kind of obsessed with it because I was almost on it. So without really knowing what I was doing at all, I got a couple of script samples from my managers and I got sat down at a computer and I wrote a spec script and I wrote a spec script of a Larry Sanders episode. And then I managed to get it to Gary and he read it. And uh, then I got hired and then that's how my writing career started. Incredible. And and quick question about the standup. When you, you know, stories that happen to us are, are more or less easy to tell. And when you were preparing for your standup shows, were you actually writing the stories out ahead of time or did it kind of flow through you like naturally? Like what was your writing process there? There was no writing process. I used to write down literally like bullet points bullet of like points. things I wanted to talk about, just a couple of notes. And that's why, honestly, sometimes when I, I come across a quote, someone will see something of mine or something and they send them to me and I'll see a little like two minute clip of my stand up on YouTube or something. And I literally would go, Oh my God, I forgot I even wrote that joke. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't have any of it. I mean, I've got it. I don't have any of it written down anywhere. So it's all just either kind of, yeah, it's either just kind of been videotaped somewhere or it's lost, but I didn't, I just was not to me the what I liked about stand up was just kind of going up there without a plan, which probably wasn't the best <laughs> strategy, but I just liked my theory about stand up, if you want to know it, I is that I, I would say to myself all the time, I don't understand how people have an act because every audience is different. And yeah. so I don't understand how you do an act that is going to satisfy everybody. And and then I came to believe, well, really the only way you can do that is to make your act so kind of middle of the road, right down the center that most of your swings are hits. Some of them aren't, but some, most of them are. And I was more kind of like, let me go up on stage and kind of feel this audience out and, and see what they're into. And then I can kind of go in that direction with them. And, you know, for sure there were nights in clubs when, when they were like drunk and rowdy yeah. and that did not work at all. But, uh, oh, and yeah. I, think, yeah. And it probably would have been better to have a, a just here's my act. Let me just go mm. through the jokes. Yeah. Well, but I didn't do it, that probably, it probably takes a lot energetically to be able to not only read the crowd, but be on, you know, be just so in the moment and so hyper-focused to be able to react to them. Right. Right. And I think it's, I think that's very true. And I also think it's a little bit of kind of, you just, you really do wind up trusting yourself a lot and mm -hmm. thinking that you can do that. And, and, and again, I, I'm not sure it was, I don't really think it was the best way to do it, but it was, it was the way I was doing. And I always, like I did an HBO special, a half hour special and everybody I was with on that night, cause they did like six of them in one, in one evening. And I remember I went up and I, you had to do two shows. They, you did your half hour. They took out that audience, bring in a fresh audience, and then you do it again. Oh. And I remember <laughs> that afterwards they were going nuts in the control room because my second set was 60% different than my first set. Oh. And I was so dumb at the time that I didn't really know that, like, they were kind of setting up camera moves and, it, like – 
they had sort of gone over it and whatever. And I was just like, like after the first set, I was like, that was okay, but I don't think this part really worked out well. And I think on the second one, I'll do the, I'll switch out these things. And so I kind of like did a, a pretty much a whole new set, the second show and everyone couldn't believe it. But the, the truth was the second set was better. So yeah. that's the one they used. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I, I like to say my brother is the funniest person I know, but if you ever tell him to put on an act or do that thing that, you know, whatever, he's not going to do it. He, he thrives by making the person he's connecting with feel something. And, right. you know, and I think that that's what makes someone like genuinely funny, but not, not to be too woo woo, but it sounds like you kind of had these like two, like out of nowhere guides that led you to do these things that ultimately changed your life. And I'm, I'm curious to know if there was anyone in the writing space that guided you or, or shifted your perspective on how you write or what you're writing. Oh, Gary Shanley, without a doubt, for okay. sure. Yeah. He used to tell us all the time. And this was, again, there's a, there's a good side and a bad side of this, but he would tell us all the time when we would write scripts for the show, he would say, don't write jokes. People don't speak in jokes. He would tell us all the time, he would, say, he would say, think of the character and think of the behavior that makes that character funny and write the behavior. Write the behavior, don't write the joke. I like that. And, and you know, on sitcom, that's exactly the opposite. There is no character, really. They're just, they just all kind of carry jokes into the scene and, and drop them off as they move across the stage and then exit the scene. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so there, that's like a different way of writing. And it's also a skill set, for sure but it's a different one. So the good thing about that was for writing things that are more kind of like single camera shows that don't rely on an audience and a laugh track and stuff like that. What Gary said to me was really, really helpful for a show that was more like when I, when I worked on like Will and Grace and stuff like that, I had to kind of like flip my brain back to the other side and just go back to writing jokes because we were a very joke driven show or you know or 30 rock or any of those shows you know so do you have a preference with single camera or multi-camera yeah i prefer single I, I like that a lot and and when you when you think about how you do your writing do you have a writing process or you do you have anything like oh a time or a place or something you have to do to write well or you kind of like write everywhere or like i'm a i'm like a i like write in my head first like when i'm walking like what is it for you well, I normally go to my office. We have offices and that's really been a helpful place to go to work because there's no there's no television, there's no distractions, there's no anything. It's just go there and work. And it's kind of like locking myself into a room and, and mm. getting to it because I that's the way I need to do it. But I will say that I do, I will be like at dinner and all of a sudden I will think of something and, and really? say, oh, that'll be great. I can do that. And that'll solve that thing in the script and whatever. And then the next morning when I go in, I'll just put it in. But I would say my process is I, what I really try to do, strive to do. And this goes back to your, the initial, initial thing we started with is I just try to get a first draft down. I try mm -hmm. so hard to just get, as we would call them at 30 Rock, a vomit pass down because it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's so much better to have something down physically on the page. Uh, speaking of on the page, I actually listened to a podcast called On the Page and, and Script Notes. 
Yeah. And, and I know you said you're not too reflective. So I actually will just bring up camping as an example, but when you think about what, do you ever, when you say you learn from each thing you do and then you try to make it better in the next thing you do, do you carry something out of that? And if so, would you have anything you take away from camping that you really liked? Well, I, you know, for me, I would say, and by the way, I, I don't mind talking about any of this, any of those shows, but so, but for camping for me, I think what I took away from there was, you know, especially on that show, that was an extraordinary group of actors oh who were kind of brought in to play these roles that the interesting, the most interesting thing about camping for me was some of those roles for some of those actors were very much kind of in their wheelhouse of who they are as people. And then some of them were so, such a departure, like for Jen Garner, playing that role was so different from from her. And when I, (laughs) yeah. And when I directed my episode with her, we had lots and lots of conversations because I will talk about scenes with an actor forever. I don't care because I'm just, I, I think the process of trying to help get them there. And also as a director to not, you know, I have for sure in my head as a director and a writer, I have a very clear vision of what I think that scene should be, Mm -hmm. but I've never been able to 100% predict how an actor, even an actor I know well will approach that scene. There's always some new twist to it or some new, Ben that I wasn't expecting that kind of surprises me. And that's always really exciting. And I like that a lot. And I like finding that. And even if it's not exactly what I thought it should be, Mm -hmm. at least it's a jump off point to find a place that we can land at where everyone is happy with it. What I would say that I learned from camping is that I think that the experience of working with those actors was was such that each one of them was such a very different personality type and they all had very different ways of working that when I would, when we would write for them and I did a lot of rewriting on of scripts and, and helping out with scripts that would come in from other writers, having had a chance to speak to them and being on the set every day with them and shooting for, you know, 14 hours a day at Disney ranch, mm. you have a lot of time to talk to them and you have a lot of time to, kind of get into their head about what their process is. And I, tr- what I tried to do is bring, I tried to be aware of their process when I would go back to the room and write something for them. I would That's think to myself, how, how can I help them reach this moment in the writing? Yeah. It probably helped getting to know them. Yes, yeah. very much so. As you went and very quickly, I did, I did watch one of your under the bleachers reports with Karen from Will and Grace and or Megan, but you mentioned that I, I think that her doing this, the voice that she did was kind of a departure from what you would have expected. Yes. And like, and that's like, uh, oh, I mean, that's, that is her thing. That's what people know her for, her, that character for. So it, I, I can imagine it is really exciting and, and thrilling to have those kind of like surprises, if you will. But I'm curious to know if you, have you ever written something and thought of some, like had an actor in mind while you were writing it? Or are you always so focused in the story and the plot that you're not really thinking specific, like potential actors? 
You know, I, I think that one of the things I really am terrible at is, and, and it happens to me all the time, is trying to write for an actor that I only, like like saying, I'm going to write this for, you know, Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And if I don't know the person is almost, I won't say useless, but it's pretty close to me. Like, in other words, like right now, if you said to me, do you have, a, do you have ideas of what you would write for Jen Garner? Absolutely. Do you have ideas of what you would write for Alicia Silverstone? 100%. Mm. But do you have an idea of what you would write for, you know, Jennifer Lawrence? I, I don't, or Emma Stone, you know, like I, I'm kind of in this mode right now where I just found out that Emma Stone is, is handled by my managers. And I was like, I just want to meet Emma Stone and sit in a room with her and pitch her like five ideas. Mm. But th- I know that my ideas are based upon her physical, pers- her, her sort of public persona. And I don't think that's really... I think you need to like dig in with somebody and like really get to know them. And like, you know what I mean? Like there's always something surprising about when you're just sitting on a set and talking to somebody. When I worked on 30 rock, I worked with Jim Marsden and, and, and it was really funny because when he came on the show, Tina said, he's so handsome. The only way to look at him safely is through a pinhole and a paper plate. (laughs) But then you like get to know him and he is a really interesting guy. And, and honestly, he's somebody that, like, I would say now, I I could write something for him because, but initially, I was just kind of looking at him as, as this, like, sort of handsome guy that I've seen do things before, but I don't really know anything about him. So for me, it's more about getting to know them more as people. I know that sounds counterintuitive because what they, they're actors and they're supposed to jump in a role, but sometimes when you know them a little bit more personally, it just helps. Yeah, no, I could totally imagine that. And I'm also a really talented actor might make you believe that you're really good at one type of character when in reality they could be better in something completely different. Yes, exactly. Based on their talent. And speaking of Elisa Silverstone, I know you mentioned her a couple minutes ago, but did you do you guys do you have any like favorite moments from American Woman? Like I really liked American Woman. I was I, thank you. I I grew up with a single mom who had a really bad prenup, and I watched her go from being a stay at home mom from ten years to back into the workforce. So I related to it on a very deep level. She also had a very young boyfriend, so it was crazy for me to watch. But like, what, what was your highlight from that show? Well, I had a, a bunch of them. I really liked. You know, the the knife scene, which we went back and forth, whether or not to put it in, was something that happened to my mother, because my mom was a single woman, and she was involved with a very kind of bullyish kind of Italian man who was just really a bully and kind of abusive and not a great guy. And my mother had put up with it and put up with it. And I remember talking about putting that scene in because what happened was, is my mother, we had a restaurant and my mom, one day this, this guy, my sister was doing something and my sister and my mom and this guy got into an argument and my mom just kind of lost her shit and picked up literally a butcher knife off of the, the Island in this kitchen of this Italian restaurant we had and went up to him and put the knife underneath his throat and said, if you ever talk to my kids like that again, I'll kill you. Wow, that's a- and that was the end of their relationship. Like literally, yeah, he left, and that was it. And and I remember talking to the network about that scene, and the network being like, "Well, you know, we're just kind of wondering, like, why now? Like, why why is she doing this now? Like, whatever." And I said to them, and this is a true story. I remember years later talking to my mom about it, mm. 
-hmm. And I said, you know, Angelo just pulled so much shit with you and did so many things to you. And I said the same thing. I said, what just happened? Mm -hmm. the, why on that day? Why in that moment? And my mother said to me, I just remember thinking I've had enough. And I said to the network, I said, sometimes it's that simple and that complicated. It's that tipping point that a human being gets to where they just say to themselves, I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah. And I'm going to make a move. And I'm either going to get out of this or I'm going to make it worse, but I know I'm not going to let it just keep going the way it is. And so when I saw that obviously played out, it was obviously very emotional mm. for me to see it. And I thought Alicia was really, really great in that moment. And then I would say the other, my other big favorite moment of hers was in the pilot also when she's decided to just go have the party anyway, and she's getting ready for the party and she's crying in front of her mirror and trying to get ready for the party. Mm. And I said to, I had gone to her and said, I, this is what I want to do. I I don't want you to wear any makeup. I want you to look like you just got out of the shower and I want to do a really slow push in of you sitting there trying to get ready for this party and face all those people downstairs. And I, and I want you to cry. And I'm wondering, is that going to be okay with you? Like, will you let me do that? Because I just want her completely stripped down because in the next scene, you're going to come down the steps in this purple dress that we found and you're going to look like a million dollars. And, yeah. and I, and I, and I want that. I want the, contrast between those two things and she said absolutely and we shot it and i was i cried because oh it was gosh. so emotional but the thing that i noticed about alicia in that scene and the thing i love about her as an actress is i was just sitting there overwhelmed by the amount of vulnerability that was just coming out of her oh gosh, yeah. without saying a word like she said nothing and i just thought that was that was, to me, one of her greatest moments ever. Yeah. I have goosebumps even just thinking about it. Yeah, I felt that. I really did. And yeah. I mean, I felt a lot of things in the show just because I felt I, it was so relatable for me. And I wasn't the single mom. I was, you know, the kid watching the single mom. And I don't know. How, I don't know. It just it definitely moved me. But it sounds like you're working, you know, in, in what you do, especially for the listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with anything to do with Hollywood, TV, movies, writing. It sounds like as a director, executive producer, writer, in, in, in all respects, you're really developing close relationships with these actors. And I, I would love to know if you've ever been nervous around any actors and or if you've ever been challenged by any of them with whether it's your writing or your direction or, or anything. Well, just one before I leave American Woman, the thing I will say about American Woman too that was extraordinary was I used to say this to Sam all the time was American Woman was probably the only show I've ever written where I really felt like every single one of those characters was a version of me. Oh, because gosh. I, I he said something to me about that strategy. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I really did feel like like because you know because i lived that story with my mom i really felt like bonnie was a version of me and 
you know, and Diana was a version of me being like completely let loose and like unbridled and yes. whatever. And yes. like all, they were all versions of, you know, of me and, you know, and Cheyenne, uh, like all of them and Sam, you know, like when I, I told Sam, when I wrote, when I wrote Adam, I was like, that's me at 25 in my own brain. Yeah. You know, so just that sense of like, I don't have to worry about anything right now. Between Adam having yeah. Adam having no complications in his life and Bonnie having nothing but complications, yeah. I like the two of them being around each other. Absolutely. So, and Sam, but I was to me too because I, I I spoke to him a lot about this book I wrote, and he said, you know, because it's it's more or less like a, a memoir based, and he said, you know, your memories may not be spot on, but the way you're writing all these characters is the version of yourself you saw in each of these people that you encountered. And what right. you remember that feeling. It's, it's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that was, but I was going to say what, you know, like as far as like other actors who I've been around who have challenged me as far as writing and stuff, I, what I was saying was, you know, I was on 30 Rock for six years and, you know, Alec Baldwin is, it can definitely challenge you <laughs> at times, but, you know, he's a very, he's a very smart actor and he will he has a definite process and he needs to understand it. And so you need to have an answer, which I think is totally valid on a actor's part. If, if, if an actor walks up to me and says, you know, why is this happening in this scene? I feel like I need to be able to explain that to them fully. I can't just go, well, I liked it and I thought it would be cool or mm -hmm. something like that. I mean, that gives them nothing. They have nowhere to go with that. You know, another person that I worked with on that same show who was, I loved her more than life itself was Elaine Stritch, but she was a one tough bird. I'll tell you, she was really, really, really tough and so kind of demanding and funny. I'll tell you my favorite story about her and it's not even mine, but this is exactly what she was like to work with. She, one day when we were doing an episode, it was a Christmas episode. She always was on our Christmas show, almost always. And so she was, we were doing this Christmas show where, Liz Lemon's family was in town and they seemed like the perfect family. They all were wearing like Christmas sweaters and they were going mm -hmm. skating in Rockefeller Plaza and whatever. And of course, Jack has Colleen, his mother, and all they do is fight. And Jack sort of points out the, the lemons to Colleen and goes, that's a real family. They're happy. They love each other. Look how much they love being around each other. And basically Colleen's attitude was like, that's bullshit. They're hiding something. Nobody's that happy with their family. And I'm going to find out what it is. So there was a moment where they were having, they were all having lunch. And basically the, the gag was that Colleen kind of drops this bomb in the middle of the conversation and then gets up and goes to the salad bar to eat, to get some salad at this restaurant and leaves the lemons who then get in this gigantic fight. And so, so she goes to the salad bar and then, and then Alec comes over and joins her and the rest of the scene plays there. So she's rehearsing this scene and she's, you know, she's getting salad and God bless her. She keeps hitting her head on that sneeze guard on the salad bar. <laughs> and Colleen had, I mean, Elaine had a, she was not afraid of saying curse words. So yeah. she was literally like, God damn it. What the fuck is it? You know, she's screaming and yelling, why can't somebody take this motherfucking piece of plastic? I'm going to fucking kill myself doing this thing. And she was yelling and screaming. And so, 
And so our sound guy, Griff, came up to her and said, hey, Colleen, he was wiring her. And he goes, hey, Colleen, listen, just so you know, you know, the shot of you at the salad bar is really like, it's super tight. So we don't even see your hands. Like we don't, we're not going to see your hands in the shot. So if you don't want to lean in to get salad, you don't, you, you don't have to get salad because we can't even see what your hands are doing. And she looked at him and said, she looked at him and said, well, if I'm not getting salad, what the fuck am I doing at the salad bar? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that's exactly how she was. She needed a reason for everything because she was from the theater and she needed to sense. know, why am I walking over here? Why am I landing right here? Why, do I, why am I doing this? Why am I doing the next thing? So she was she was a hard person to to deal with as well. And then, you know, I've done a couple other things. You know, I've directed some modern families and those guys know those characters so well that you kind of feel a little weird going in and going, Hey, why don't you try this after nine years? You know what I mean? Oh, totally. They they yeah, they have it spot on. Yeah. So I would say that. Interesting. And I'm curious, is there anything that's like you're jumping out of bed for right now, super excited about? I'm working on this show for free form. I don't want to say too much more than that, but I'm pretty excited about it. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt. If you didn't know, I am the CEO, founder, and head coach at Crossroads of Fitness. And our claim to fame is the Dare to Eat Fat Loss Program. I wanted to let you know that we are actively taking on new clients. I have two other lead coaches right now. And if you are interested in losing six to 12 pounds in 12 weeks, we want to work with you. We teach what is scientifically proven to be the sustainable rate of fat loss. And you can check out the links in the show notes that will take you to our program offerings on our website. You can always email me or DM me on Instagram. I am happy to enroll you as a new client. I would love to work with you. If you have any questions, let me know and dare to eat. When you think about writing or maybe like your former self, is there any writing advice that you would give to someone who's just starting out beyond kind of what you shared about just getting a draft out? And, and I mean to say like, as far as maybe networking with people, or if you believe that people should co-write or anything like that for a young writer. I think, well, here's what I would say. I think the smartest, the most important thing that you can do is identify your own true voice. That's what I would say is the more important than anything else is find out who you are as a writer and what you're trying to write about and why it's different than anyone, what anyone else is doing. I have a card in my office that literally says, it's literally like taped to my lamp on my desk and it says reach for something. Because I think that you have to and it's very scary to do this because when you when you are completely being your own real voice, mm -hmm. if you get rejected, there's a lot more at stake than if you're just trying to write something that you think somebody will like. Don't that's what I would say. Don't write what you think somebody will will, will like. Write what you like. 
That's awesome. And is it no one's you? It's no one no one's gonna replicate it. I really like that. And we kind of skipped a little bit over this. I wanted to ask you earlier, when you moved out west and you were pursuing comedy and it kind of through the ups and downs of your journey, did you ever have going just on the, the note of fear, if you like, did you ever have a moment where you're kind of like you like open the net will catch you kind of moment where you're like, I have no idea where this is going and because we all know how it can be in the Hollywood space, you know, with the unpredictability of it. So I'd love for you to speak on that. Just moving out here was, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do, really. I just knew that, like, I, I took a giant chance that, like, Dennis Miller was actually honestly saying, come on out here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I moved out and I was just kind of like, I hope this works. I mean, I hope... I hope that there's that something works out for me. And, you know, for me, it was just initially like moving to California and being like, and just being like, but still getting on a plane every week and going to comedy clubs in the Midwest and doing shows. And then I finally kind of got a break. But the one thing I will say about doing it was my whole life, once I kind of took that first step towards even doing stand up, my whole thing, my whole thing was always like, I want to move to California. I want to move to California. I want to be in show business and I want to move to California. And I think that little voice in my head just wouldn't shut up. So I just had to listen to it and go. And I didn't have much choice. You know, yeah. I used to, I, I've told people, I used to watch the Carol Burnett show. It reruns of Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. And they would say from Television City in Hollywood. And I would literally go, there's a Television City. What yeah. does that look like? That's amazing. So you really manifested it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of did. And did you feel any bit of culture shock when you went from the Midwest to the West Coast? Because I definitely experienced it when I went from the Midwest to the East Coast. Yes, I definitely did. I was not prepared for the city. Like, I remember when we got here, when David and I got here, and we had driven all day, and we, we drove down to Hollywood, which at the time was pretty skeezy. It's still pretty skeezy now, but at least it's a little bit better. But when I moved here, when we moved here, it was skeezy. And I was like, we went to some shitty diner and had terrible food and, and after driving all day. And I remember literally thinking, this is it. Like, this is, this is what we drove across country for. Like, this is the thing. But I, and and so yeah, it was a huge shock. Like everything was a shock. How much more expensive things were. How oh, people, yeah. how people live their lives. You know the the amount of people here. Every everything was a shock. But I was also very much kind of like, you know, I mean, I was a little bit Dorothy and Oz too. I was just oh, kind of like walking around, going, "Look at this place. This is amazing." You know. So. Do you feel like you pinch yourself today? Oh yeah. I still go whenever I drive. I like when I was at Warner brothers, I would, I would drive onto the lot every morning and I would look at the Warner brothers logo and I would just on the, on the water tower. And I was like, I can't believe I work here. I can't believe that. Like, you know, you walked, you walk down, you walk down the street and on the, on the lot and you look over and there's a plaque on the wall of a, of a soundstage that says, this is where they shot Casablanca. And you're just going, this is pretty amazing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I still do that. I do it all the time because I'm still, I still can't believe I get to work in this business because it's, 
you know, I mean, it obviously it has its it has its not great moments, but it it's overall to be able to use this forum to express yourself yeah. in an artistic way is is a pretty big gift. I can imagine, and it sounds like you've been able to even as far back as stand up tell a lot of your own stories, which in, in, in a lot of ways can be cathartic. I think. And exciting, but out of all the things that you've done, do you have any career highlights or any one thing that you can pinpoint? Well, you know, when I was growing up as a kid in Cincinnati, I used to watch The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That was the one thing I knew that I, I used to, on Friday nights, my mom would let me stay up and watch it. And I would watch it, and I used to sit there and think, I want to. That's what I want to do. I want to sit on that couch and jo- and talk to Johnny Carson. When I was a kid, yeah, and I got to do that. When I first moved here, I was on the Tonight Show three times, and I got to meet Johnny, and that was pretty great. Uh, like when I when the third time I was on, he told me to come over and sit down, and he interviewed me. And when we went to commercial, he leaned over and said to me, "You know, I've never seen a a young comic." take as big a pauses as you do when you're telling jokes because I would like wait while the audience would laugh and I would just look at them and that would kind of, that they kind of laugh more and stuff. And then he said to me, the only person I know who's done that is, is he goes, the only other guy I've ever seen do that was Jack Benny. And Jack Benny was his mentor. Like he was a huge Jack Benny fan. And that was like, that was like a huge gigantic compliment for me. And just to meet him was a, was a big, big highlight for sure. And I think I've probably met some actors that, you know, I mean, well, this was, you know, Alec, because Alec and I are friends, Baldwin and I are friends that one time he, he got me, I had gone to the tonight show. I mean, I'd gone to SNL because I'm a giant Beatles fan and Paul McCartney was the musical guest and I got to meet him like like Marcy Klein was the the coordinator for music and she's like come on I'll introduce you and my friend Jack Burdett and I walked out and he was standing there talking to Lauren Michaels and it was like 20 minutes before the show was going to start and she's like Lauren shut up for a second I want to introduce the writers to to Paul and we met him and I was like oh my god and then three nights later four nights later he was going to play at the Apollo Theater and Alec was like I have an extra ticket let's you and I go up there and I was like okay and so we went and saw yeah, and we saw the show at the Apollo, like in the fourth row. I'm not kidding. Like Howard Stern was was literally sitting next to me. Like it, it was like this insane crowd. And then afterwards, we went backstage to say hi to him. And you know, Alec is like talking to him, and they're like, "Oh, blah blah blah," and they got to see each other in the Hamptons and go do yoga together and all this other stuff. And then Alec looks at me and goes, because this is my friend, John and McCartney looks at me and goes, Oh yeah. Right. From Saudi rock. Oh my gosh. And, and I was like, yeah, hi. And he would shake his hand, whatever. And then they talk, 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 whatever. And then, and then we were leaving and he was saying goodbye to Alec and he looks at me and he goes, well, I guess I'll see you out there, John. And I go, yeah, it was really nice to meet you. And I put my hand out and he hugged me. Oh my and I literally thought I was going to drop dead. I'm not kidding. I would too. That's like beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah. In- yeah. When you, not, not to be too like woo woo again, but like, did you ever have a moment with yourself at any point in your journey where you kind of thought, okay, this is what I want. 
this is what I'm going to go after? Or did you kind of just take it, like you said in the very beginning, like bird by bird of like this entire time of your life? I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no plan like in this way mm-hmm. that it would, that, that I'm going to do this. And these are the steps I'm going to do to get there and stuff like that. Like I'm very lucky because I feel like I was just, I just sort of stumbled into everything. Mm-hmm. Like once I got there, I worked really hard. And yeah. I will say that about myself is like, I absolutely was able to up to the tasks that, or, that I found myself in. But I don't think I ever had any real, I wish I could say I had a strategy for the way I was doing it, but I didn't. I really didn't. I just kind of like, was like, well, you know, like moving to California. It was like, I just, that seems fun. Let's move to California. And then it was moving to California. And then it was like, now what do we do? Well, now we'll do this. And, you know, it was just, it just all kind of happened. I don't, I think at this point for young writers, that's much more difficult to do, I would say. And why would you say that? Because I think that the business is so different now mm-hmm. that the, you know, there are so many, you know, on the one hand, there's so much more opportunity out there to exposure to, to yeah, for exposure and different platforms where you can do your shows and, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are so many other factors that then come into play, like, you know, working for a company like Netflix, you know, like Netflix basically has an algorithm where they run what the value of your show is going to be there, be to them on like a worldwide network. And, and so you, there's so many other variables that you kind of can't control that don't make it as easy to get access to these places. So it's, I don't know if I'm saying this clearly, but I just feel like there's so many things were just simpler when, you know, 20 years ago, like, like, you know, the agencies were just agencies. That's all they did is they signed people. They did, they didn't have their own studios. They didn't have, you know, they didn't go public with their stocks so that they're trying to make a profit. And, you know, it's, it was a lot more black and white than it is now. But having said that, I think that the positive side for young writers on people out there who are trying to express themselves is there's just so much more opportunity to take your own project yourself, literally yourself and just do it, just make it. So you can shoot it on an iPhone if you want and, and edit it on your computer and get it out there. And so like that stuff didn't exist 20 years ago and that's all great. You know what I mean? Totally. So you've probably seen a lot of changes, like not even just with the, the Netflixes and the Amazons in the world, but with reality TV, like what's your take on that? I I'm amazed that reality TV thrives as much as it does. Same I did way. not I understand ex- it. Yeah, I did not ever expect that to happen. And I watch some of these shows, and I I try to watch them, and I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm watching. Like I yeah. don't I don't really know what this is, you know. Like, and that's why. You know, like when I did the, when we did the comeback, I was so interested in doing the comeback because I was like, I want to and try to do a narrative version of this really interesting and somewhat insane style of doing a television show. But I, I'm amazed by how much reality TV is out there. And like when I go even like to visit my family in Italy, they, their reality TV is all over in Italy. It's everywhere. It's, it's something that has kind of just taken hold like on a global level and it's pretty amazing it really is and i can't quite figure it out because like like you said i'll watch something and i'll even feel this like a bit of like 
addictive part of it where you kind of want to watch what, what happens next, but you're also like, why am I wasting my time? And it, it just, it's very, I don't know if it's just that people want to look inside the lives of others or, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm baffled. And, I, and even on the, the most smallest, tiniest scale that I can think of on this podcast specifically, I had someone who helped Netflix, come out of the show that helped Netflix start streaming. You know, like, uh-huh. I was so pumped for this interview. I was counting down the days and that interview went live the same week as one with my fiance. And uh-huh. My fiance doubled the, the listens. Right. And I'm like, is it like, I don't get that. It's, it's very strange, but I, you know, the storyteller in me will always have narratives and storytelling. That's, you know, strategic, if you will. So I really appreciate your insight. And I, I, I appreciate all that you've shared today. Your story is incredibly inspiring to me. And I'm thankful that Sam put us in touch. And I guess my final question for you today is, do you, you know, do you have anything else you care to share about what's next for you? Anything that, you know, that you could manifest for yourself or that you're kind of, it's still on your radar? Well, I'd like to, there's a couple of very personal movies that I want to try to get made that are about a couple of stories from my life that I really would like to to see made. They're a little bit uh, difficult for me to wrangle right now because they have a lot of emotional baggage that comes with them. Mm-hmm. I would like to do that. I would like to, I really like writing, but I but I would like, I, I like directing a lot and I would like to direct more. So I would like to do that. And that's, you know, that's really it. I mean, I'm trying to just more and more stay, stay true to what I think is funny or what I think is compelling or what I think is, you know, an interesting story to tell that, that, because again, like I said before, I think sometimes it's hard to, it's when you, when you watch how much is out there and you do watch shows that are successful and you, I think it's very easy to get in the trap of going, well, maybe I should write a show like that because people seem to like that show. And that's, and that's fine to do that if you like the show. But it's not so great to do it if you just think other people will like the show. And I don't think that's a good way to get there. I I feel like if you have a story to tell, you know, tell your story and hopefully it's compelling enough that people will be interested in it. I don't know that it works as well if you're just trying to kind of duplicate something that's already, you know, been done. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do more of myself is just keep that, keep that in the forefront of my brain. Because, you know, as I know, you know, as a writer, you know, there's some days when you're sitting there on a Wednesday afternoon and you're just slogging through it and it's not coming at all. And you just have that moment where you're like, why am I doing this? Like, what is the point of this pain that I'm inflicting on myself? But you just have to remember that that's part of it. Yeah. And is there anything you do to like, if you're feeling that pain, do you, do you make yourself sit there longer or do you just cut it, cut it at the moment and wait till the next day? 
No, I will work all day. But what I do is I get up, I'll get up and walk around. Like I'll just say, get away from that for a a little bit and just walk around or go clear your head or go grab a cup of coffee or do something Mm -hmm. to just get away from it for a minute. I do think there's a, there's a definite day for me. There's a point every day for me as a writer where I just know that I'm out of gas for the day and I need to stop. Mm -hmm. But because I'm a better writer in the morning, like I'd prefer to write (laughs) in the morning. But yeah, I just try to, I, I, I try to remember again that, that part of it is part, part of the process is not, feeling great about what you're writing it's it's, you know it's that's just what it is feeling clunky and i'm going through that right now with something so i can relate and i I, again i appreciate you coming on and i don't want to take any more of your valuable time but thank you again and feel free to email me anything that you want if there's anything you want shared in the show notes or any way people we found can find you and we'll put those in the show notes and again thank you so much it was really great to hear your story and your advice on writing and i hope you have an awesome weekend and good luck with the new project if you guys are putting up your preach hands and nodding your head yes to things that are said either out of my mouth or out of my interviewees' mouths, and you so, so, so relate, we would absolutely love to see you post about our podcast in your Instagram stories. Please also comment on our Instagram Dare to Move podcast posts. If you do a post in your stories three times and you comment on one of our podcast posts and you give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you are using, we will be rewarding one lucky person every month with a $100 gift card to Amazon. Your comments, your feedback, your critiques, and your reviews are so helpful to us. So thank you for those of you who have done them. And please, please, please help us out if you are enjoying our content. It helps us out when you share it with your community and when you tell iTunes that we're doing a great job. So please comment, please share on Instagram in your stories, please comment on our Dare to Move podcast post and we will enter your name into a drawing for a hundred bucks. Easy money, guys. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to connect, you can reach me at Garrett N. Wood on Instagram or the podcast Instagram at Dare to Move Podcast. Imagine that. I hope you have an amazing day. And just so you know, our podcast is where we explore all the productivity hacks, business scaling tools, and unique characteristics and personality traits of entrepreneurs leading the way in the portfolio lifestyle. Get inspired, gain actionable steps, and feel like you're connecting with genuine people who are making an impact all by way of careers which they designed. And that being said, if you are someone doing any of the aforementioned, I would love to have you on the show. I obviously explore my network and reach out to the people I know, but I want everyone to have an opportunity. So do not hesitate to reach out and request an interview and let me know if you know somebody who you think would be really exciting for the Dare to Move podcast to interview. I hope you have an awesome day and as always, dare to move. Dare to move.